left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Anthony Weiner, it threatened to rain today, but so far, it's a gorgeous day to be walking around one day before the official start of spring, and what a week it's been with St. Patrick's Day up Fifth Avenue on Thursday, then Purim for all the the kids and adults who wanted to run out there and dress up like guardian angels, and then you have St. Joseph's Day today, which is Workers of the World Unite a Sicilian holiday, and then tomorrow, first day of spring, and then the continuation of Lent. All of this just within the past four days. And I don't know if your kids are like mine, but Jordan's on some spring break right now. And it's a, a constant... Uh, it used to not be hard to think, figure out how to spend time when I was 10 years old. But for him, he requires a lot of programming. Let's just put it that way. And um, he's playing hockey six days a week. And this morning, usually, usually I, I take him to hockey all the time. And there's a certain amount of of beefing that goes on around that. I have to carry all his gear and everything else. And but today, um, I wanted to prepare for the show, and so uh, Huma agreed to to take him. And I got to tell you, I as much as I complain about it, I realize he's ten years old. He still needs me a little bit. This is our little activity. And just as I was walking out the door, someone offered me some tickets to the Islander game. His mom and him went to the Islander game. I feel like I'm losing my last strain of like, <laughs> what is the thing? What is my little hook into the little fella? And now, um, and now I'm, I'm I'm even losing that. But there's a lot going on. I think isn't March 21st the vernal equinox? Isn't it the exact same amount of daylight and night? Or yes. is, or, or did Congress just change? Or Congress yeah, no, just no, change no. daylight savings time. The the Senate voted uh, majority. Uh, um, something you almost never see now. Almost every senator voted for it to keep permanent daylight savings time. There's a push to do that. It benefits us here in the Northeast. The further west you go, the less advantageous. But polls have indicated Americans are not all that enamored with just having one, uh, you know, a daytime period in which you never have to turn the clocks ahead or behind all year they, long. They don't like that. I, I for one, find these days forward back. It takes a week or two on either side to get Jordan back in his rhythm, to get me back on my rhythm. I got. I just want to make sure I understand this. Are are they staying on daylight or are they staying on standard with this new law? They want daylight uh, standard time. So, so that means dead of winter, January, sun's going to come up at like 830 around here? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And worse as you go out west. So Indianapolis, it may come up 9, 930, the further west you go. But you have daylight uh, a lot earlier at night. It's, and they, you no longer have the loss of that one hour on that one day when more accidents occur right. because of fatigue and the body is out of whack and more people have uh, mental health issues surrounding that day. So there are a lot of reasons both ways. Uh, those that want to keep it the same way where you change up, uh, you know, once a year. You go ahead an hour, and then you uh, in uh, fall, and then you go back an hour in spring. I think I like that the better. Look, I I don't like the changes in either direction. I find them to be disruptive. Everyone scratches their head and says, "Why are we doing this?" It takes everyone a while to get used to it. As you mentioned, there's an increased instances of accidents, fatigue. Overnight workers have a tougher time. They lose an hour, then gain an hour. But I, I tell you, you pointed out an interesting thing that this passed unanimously. In fact. 
most things that pass Congress are unanimous. I didn't know that. Yeah. Most of the stuff that happens is relatively non-controversial, making the trains run on time, ceremonial things. They're done by unanimous consent in some form or another. But rarely do you see one that has this type of implication for everyday Americans as this one. And what I surmised happened is, you know, there's the the majority party has traffic cops that make sure nothing makes it on the floor that doesn't have the consensus and doesn't need to have a big fight or doesn't need some political reason that why it shouldn't. What must have happened in this case is there were sufficient numbers of Democrats and Republicans who cared about doing where the Rubio on the Republican side, I think it's Murray of Washington on the Democratic side. And no one who really felt all that connected. So what does that tell you? That means there's probably no business that really cares that much one way or the other. Agriculture interests back in the day might have cared back when it was a lot more manual labor. Now they probably don't care as much. So once you reach a point where a couple of members of the, of the House and the Senate, in this case the Senate, really care a lot, a lot about something, and there's no one pushing back on the other side, this is the way stuff happens. Now, that is the real exception on true policy things. If you're if you're passing National Pickle Month, you'll be able to get consensus. If you're commending some sports team for winning something, you'll be able to get consensus. But on things like this, that every American literally and figuratively wakes up and says, wow, that changed my life by an hour each year. It is really unusual for that kind of thing to happen um, by consensus the way it did in, in but Washington. But you see with our kids, uh, it impacts them because all across America, there are states who are deciding – Maybe we should be pushing up the time uh, that a child needs to be in school by an hour, that it's too early for them to get in. And if, in fact, it stays darker longer during the morning hours, which is when you first go to school, it may impair them even more getting a kid up when it's totally dark out. I know I used to have to do it to deliver the daily news at like four in the morning. Right, right. But but I'll I'll ask you this, though. I got to go take a look at what the legislation says. If the federal government has occupied this space, that means that the states are preempted from it. Up to now, Indiana has an exemption from the law that allows them to be split in the middle or for some way. So there are some exemptions that are written into law. But now that the Senate has occupied it, that probably means that the states are preempted. And by the way, you don't want the states having their own times. That would be crazy. You would have Connecticut and then you, then you have New Jersey doing something different. That wouldn't work. I'm interested to see how this goes. Remember, the House hasn't passed it yet. Now the Senate has passed it. What might be happening is people are giving it a hard look, and and the House may, may stop it. But um, I can't remember the last time something like this happened. That like every single human being in the United States of America is gonna either is gonna have their lives changed. And I tell you what, we will see. I think Halloween time. It's gonna be super dark out. It's gonna be the middle of the night. By is that right? Or am I doing that math? Yeah, that's right. That was one of the reasons they had daylight savings yes. was so that the kids can trick-or-treat with some reasonable sunlight yeah. outside, so you, that kind you, of thing. You gained an hour in the fall. Right, you right, lost right. an hour in the spring. Farmers are not going to be happy. So if you happy, if you live in an agrarian society, you're not going to like this. But speaking of uh, our, uh, our children, uh, my uh, oldest son, Anthony, just got his senior ring yesterday at his high school, which means uh, in just uh, another few months he's going to be graduating. And he's like styling and profiling that senior ring everywhere. And we do our father and son podcast here at WABCs because he interns here in the afternoons after school. Uh, it's now been renamed Anthony and Curtis. He's already using his muscle with Chad Lopez, uh, our general manager. But he's and I was wondering why did he keep flashing the ring to me? It showed it to me once and twice and three times, and then I got it. He said to me, "Huh, this is one thing I have that you never had." Daddy, I said, that's right, a senior ring. They kicked me out of high school, Brooklyn Prep. The Jesuits shined their boots on my backside 
before they gave out the senior rings. Uh, in the winter of my senior year, they kicked me to the curb. I never looked back. So he's saying, you see, I got a senior ring. A That's senior pretty good. Ring. I tell you, a couple of things I've learned from that story. One, you're getting old, buddy. Mm. You know, he's well, high, I'll, high be, I'll, be, I'll be 68 March 26th. Miles, that's good for you, buddy. But I never had a senior ring either. I think it was different in, in when I I don't remember it being as much of a thing at Brooklyn Tech as it as it is kind of now. But I'll tell you a funny thing about, you know, you've got that podcast. It's a great one. I encourage everyone to look for it in the Red, Red Apple Media Podcast Network. My therapist said to me, you know, I, I hear you on the radio. Have you thought about maybe going by your first name, you know, given – your name is Wiener, given the problems that you've had, given the, how, how, how easy it is to joke about it. I said, there's already a Curtis and Anthony podcast. It's already taken. I can't, I can't get in but there. But remember, growing up in Brooklyn, you weren't Anthony Wiener. For us of the Italian-Americans, Anthony. Anthony, Anthony Wiener. That's right. Anthony Wiener. Now, another dilemma. Give me some advice here. Um, my son insists that as a graduation gift for high school, having uh, gone all through the lockdown and pandemic and staying on top of his studies. He wants a brand-new Dodge Charger. Brand-new. He doesn't want, you know, pre-owned, used, anything from a chop shop. He doesn't want an old relic Dodge Charger. He wants a brand-new Dodge Charger. The price will knock your eyeballs out. With the price of gasoline approaching $5 a gallon, and he'll probably want high test, so that's even more, you know, because it's a high-performance car. It's a muscle car. I say, Andy, you got to be out of your mind. You better go out and get, like, five paper routes because this is impossible. He's obsessed with this Dodge Charger. Yeah, well, it, he is doing his job as a young man of asking you for the Dodge Charger, and you are going to do your job as his father by saying you can get any car you want in the following categories. One, it has to be, at least in my day, it's probably different today. It definitely is different. My dad used to say, you got to get something that's safe. Once it's safe, which meant. Oh, that's right. Which meant it had to be a big hunkamunka car. And you should probably say minimum 15 years old, right? I mean, like, that's what's going to happen. This is the, the giving and taking of this. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't envy your, your position because there's going to be. Now, I, I think that I had. I want to say a Delta 88 must have been in the early 80s. It was my first car. And then I had the hand-me-down car of our, of our house. We had a, a, a Chevy Citation. One of those, Chevy Citation? It was one of those X cars. It's when U.S. manufacturers recognized, all right, the Japanese were making these high-quality Hondas. Hondas had overtaken everyone who was driving the Civic and the Accord. So they made smaller cars with junk under the hood. It was just they were the worst. That car... You know, uh, what did Roddy Dangerfield, I got the perfect second car, a tow truck. You know, that's, that was basically what, what I had. But, but I, I, you know, this is a big rite of passage getting a car. Of course he's supposed to ask for, the, for a shiny new muscle car, and you're going to tell him, look, no, no, this no, is no. where you start. I, I find a Yugo out there if there are any left or a Lada. You know, they're no longer making the Ladas in Russia now because of the slowdown in production there. Uh, but Yugos and Ladas were very compact, small cars, very good on efficiency at the gas pump. And not only that, they're so different, and it's a conversational item. What kind of car is that? Oh, this is a Yugo, you know, the old Yugoslavian Tito car. Oh, a lot of, wow, this is a Russian car. Ooh, wow. Although nowadays it may not be a very favorable point of view to have in talking about riding around with a Russian car. I had a Corvair. My first vehicle was a Corvair van. And I heard Frank Morano on the other side of Overnight uh, interviewing Ralph Nader who I've met on many occasions. I was a real fan of Ralph Nader. He wrote that book, 
against General Motors, which was all about the Corvair car. And when I first met Ralph Nader, he said, what kind of car did you have uh, when you were a teenager? I said, oh, I had a Corvair van. He looked at me like, you know how dangerous that was, a Corvair van? I said, in my neighborhood, Canarsie, with all the wise guys, I took my chance with the Corvair van. Stick shift, didn't have to worry about the engine freezing up in the winter when it was like real winter, 40 degrees below zero, because it was like the VW bus, the hippie wagon. It would just start up even if it was 80 degrees below zero. Yeah. Now, but you with, know, but you the know, winds it's, came. Interesting about, about, about the stick shift cars. You know what has happened in the marketplace? It used to be the most stripped down version of every car was a stick shift, no power car. Right, that was the lowest base model that they had. So recently, my mom had to replace her car, and she had a stick shift. My my mother take energy efficiency to this next level. She's re, she goes out to the recycling bin in her building, and she sorts through that and recycles that. Anyway, I went out to try to replace her stick shift car, and the dealers all told me, "No, now you pay a premium for stick shift because they're not as worth as much on the secondary market. Because few people can 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 drive. Can can you can Anthony drive a stick? No. I mean, that's the kind of thing that." All of us grew up at least knowing how to do because at least 30%, 40% of the cars out there were stick shift. And, and, if you, and, if you got, and most of the time when you had a job, uh, when, when I, I had three or four jobs that had either a stick shift vehicle of some sort or a stick shift truck that I had to figure out how to drive. Uh, but nowadays, you can't find stick shift anything. It's a shame. I mean, that's, that's most of the fun. And remember, I had that vehicle with a learner's permit. I never got a license. I failed the driving test four times. I couldn't parallel park. So I'm driving around, and then we get hit with the oil embargo, the Shah of Iran, OPEC. Oil embargo because we helped out Israel in their many wars against their enemies. And I mean the price of gasoline, regular, soared. Even the new no-lead that came about at that time, and the high-test soared. So everybody was interested. Oh, wow, you drive a stick shift Corvair van, which meant... You got a better bang on your your gasoline dollar because you save money with a stick shift as opposed to when you have right. transmission. Except, by the way, that's the other thing that's changed. Now with technology and computers, it's no longer the case. In fact, in fact, one of the advances that is made with electric vehicles is now that the transmissions are so perfectly tuned that they're shifting seamlessly now, actually better than, than we could just by doing it by, by ear. But still, it's like one of those things that's lost from the toolbox of today's young adults that you kind of think they would benefit from having. I can't think of a good reason for it. Like if, if, if you mention it to Anthony, he says, why would I ever need a stick shift? And he's probably right. But it's one of those things, I don't know, like algebra, that you kind of think that you're losing by not having it in your toolbox. Yeah, and instead of having the stick shift on the floor like I did with a Corvair van, you have it right on the steering wheel where you put the stick in gear right on the steering wheel. Oh, so in power windows, if you had power windows, you would consider, oh, Top shelf, five star air conditioning. Oh, air conditioning! The only air conditioning back then was right around with the windows yeah. open. By the way, you know it's really difficult driving a stick in the UK because every if you've got not only have your stick in your left hand, but but the clutch is not where it's supposed to be, and it takes it is it took me a really long time to to to, to get used to that. But yeah, these 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 are the challenges. This this should be this you should record as a podcast. You and Anthony negotiating on what car he's actually going to get now that he's ready. Now, now, you drove in the U.K.? Yeah. So what was it like being on the other side of the road? The, other side of, the other side of the road wasn't nearly as challenging as we got a, a little stick shift car that I thought, all right, this is no problem. I'm used to driving a stick shift. Having the, the gear shifter on the left and then having the clutch 
I want to say the clutch was on the other side, was not where it was supposed to be. Oh, so, so it was near the, uh, on your right foot. I think it was. I think it's, it's in, completely yes. flipped. It's yes. completely inverted. So that took me a, a, a little while. I mean, some, you know, some, it, it took a little practice. But, um, but like I was about to say, I, I would pay cash money, and you don't have to when you get it from the Apple Podcast Network. I would pay cash money to listen to you guys negotiating, father to son. Yes. What vehicle he should get? Yeah, well, I'm going to put my money right now on saying he's not going to get a, a 2023 ch- a Charger no in cherry red. I'm going to say no that's not going to happen. Way, but this is a perfect lead-in to discussing gas prices in the Biden administration, the inflation that we're going through now, and then obviously how the President of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, and Vice President Harris are dealing with the uh, war in the Ukraine and the continued. Russian onslaught, especially in the urban areas. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Appointment radio every Saturday. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right. Or you can get it in podcast form at WABCradio.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Still don't have a title for me in that bumper. You know, you're heavyweight king. I'm, I'm still just the tomato can here for you to punch at. I don't, I don't know. How about welterweight? I think we can do better than just a weight class. I mean, look, with a name like Anthony Weiner, with a history like I have, I think we can come up with some pretty funny nicknames. Maybe listeners can throw some in there. Don't make that the only reason you call. By the way, Chris, I want to I want to so I've I've been here now about a month working on this program. I want to thank you again and the listeners. The numbers have been excellent. People have been tuning in. But I now am am starting to get some feedback. They showed me some of the emails that came into WABC and also some folks have said some things on the street that there is a lot of time on the dial here at ABC where hosts are weighing in very strongly and very critically about elements of the Biden record, that he's not doing enough on Ukraine or made mistakes, that he contributed to inflation or didn't do enough to stop it, that gas prices are whatever, and they should be lower. Even the Hunter Biden laptop, you didn't have that. We can throw that in also Yeah, we'll a talk bit. about that and, later. And some people have said to me, you know, how come you and Curtis – how come you're not pushing back on some of those things? And to be honest with you, a lot of the time we've been talking about New York local issues. A lot of times we've just been reminiscing, kind of get getting used to hanging out again a little bit together. But I do think it's true that sometimes on WABC it's one hand clapping. And I would like to talk a little bit about these issues, sure. tell you what, what my perspective is. Here's what I will say, though. I'm not going to call anyone an idiot. I'm not going to say anyone's a fool. I'm not going to say that anyone's stupid. I'm not going to say that anyone is completely right or completely wrong. But I will say – that the through line to these different things is what I've observed in government is that there are very few black and white issues, that there is so obviously a correct answer and so obviously an incorrect answer. I advocated for many, many years, and I still continue to, for single-payer health care because I believe it would be cheaper. I believe people like Medicare. I believe Medicare is a good model. We should replicate it. But that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, that just this past couple of years, I have not, I don't acknowledge that that for-profit health care probably made sure that these antidotes and these these immunity treatments came about faster. Sure. So that's kind of what I want to have this conversation about. Now, and one thing I do want to also suggest is that if I make a mistake or I get a fact wrong, I don't mind someone sending us a note. A couple of weeks ago, we had to do a couple of corrections. I don't mind doing that. Um, but I think that after a week of people hearing that 
Biden's an idiot and he's, he's a fool and that he's the reason we have these. I did want a chance just to go back and forth a little bit with you, talk about these issues a little bit. You laid them out very well. The, the rise in gas prices, inflation is through the roof. Ukraine is, is, a, is a complicated and tragic situation. Um, well, I think the one you feel the most is at the pump. Because even if you have a fuel-efficient car, you're driving down the highway or you're driving in your neighborhood and you see the prices just going up and up. So you see diesel's going up. You see the price of a regular gallon, high test going up. And so now all of a sudden you say, wow, when does it cap off? Because we're approaching $5, $5 and change. And that, that's double what people were paying a year ago. So that's a real hurt, a hurt on what some people live on, which is really they live from week to week, month to month. That's a big chunk of their income right there because a lot of people have to drive. Right. And what no is, but what is your perception of the critique of the Biden administration is on how they contributed to or have not done enough about high gas prices? What's your sense of what that argument is? Well, I believe in uh, supply and demand. If you have an oversupply, the price plunges. Uh, we obviously have a demand that's going to go up now because the weather is getting warmer we're getting out of the lockdown, the pandemic. People uh, want to be footloose and fancy free, do all the things they couldn't do in two years, which is mean they don't want to be mobile. And there's just not enough supply there. And now with the war going on in the Ukraine and Russia being so important to the world's supply of petroleum, you know, you can't all of a sudden discount that. They're like number two or number three in terms of the petroleum supply and natural gas supply in the world. You cut all of that off. Europe feels it first, but we definitely catch the blowback. And who who do you blame? You blame the person who's in office. Okay. Now that part, I, I did the last point that you made. I 100% agree with. If you're going to take credit and be popular when prices are low and when the economy is doing well, even if you had very little to do with it, that's fair game. That's politics. But in terms of the substance of what it is that the government can do to drive prices of a commodity up or down. They can't add to the supply except in, in nominal ways. For example, one way they can add the supply is say, all right, let's take federal lands and let people drill on those lands. The government does not do that drilling. They offer up leases to private companies that can then go and do it. We can do some things around tax policy. We have gas taxes at the pump. The thinking is that if we want to pay for mass transit, you have drivers who use the roads pay a little bit of a surcharge based on how much they're driving in order to support those things. Very good for New York City. Our buses, our trains, our roadways are all supported by the gas tax. Another thing that they might be able to do is maybe, I mean, they could theoretically go do drilling themselves. But right now, here's what the Biden administration has done. They have done nothing to reduce the supply of, of gas. The price, as you mentioned, goes up and down based on the on supply and demand, but that's only part of it. Some of it's completely irrational. The, the futures market sometimes spiked way down this week. Why did they spike down? Because it was pretty clear that the impact that the, that that was going on from from the, the shortage of Russian oil didn't have as much as we thought. Secondly, China was going into lockdown, meaning they would reduce their consumption. So the market makers said, "Wait a minute, the price is lower." Did our price go down at the pump? No. Prices don't go down at the pump based on those things because there are profit-making companies who want the profits to be high. So what have they said? What has Biden done that is the real bee in the bonnet of so many hosts here at WABC? He has said that we're going to stop the, uh, the construction of the XL pipeline spur, which would have shortened the trip from Canada down to Louisiana coast. 
isn't wasn't a, a producing an additional ounce of oil. Um, the North Dakota um, uh, governor was on with John Katsimatidis, his excellent program, the number one program at, in his time slot. And even she didn't say it adds to more oil. All it does is help a private company transport it faster. That's all. There's still a pipeline that goes that exact same route, goes from northwestern Canada down to southeastern United States. He, the Biden administration said, we're ending this permit. Well, why do they end it? That permit was in place through all four years of the Trump administration. They were only able to build 8% of that pipeline because they're going through private property, and private property owners said, we don't want it here. Maybe the governor of North Dakota, when she's running for president, wants it there. All right, but, but, but Anthony, how do you deal with the fact that when he did cut off that Keystone pipeline, Trudeau Jr., so what are you doing? It's all the oil that's coming through our country, mostly the province of Alberta, going right into the United States towards Louisiana and Texas. Why are you doing this? He is doing that because he's doing the bidding of a Canadian company. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But why was so little of that progress made under the Trump administration? It was made simply. It was slow simply. The court system said, we're not going to let you take eminent domain of people's properties. A lot of people were refusing to let them go through. A lot of it was indigenous lands that they had to get special permits even even from the states to do and were unable to do it. So they stopped that pipeline from going. Now, that doesn't add a single ounce of new supply. Right, All you it, see, it, it's, when it's, you it's do just, that, you're right in office. You get sworn into office. It's one of the very first things you do. And now we have this problem in the Ukraine. And we see that the Saudis won't return our phone call because we want more oil from them there. In fact, having a love affair with the Chinese. Want? What do the Saudis want? Higher or lower prices? Well, of course, they all want higher prices. They want prices. higher prices. Well, no, there's one exception. There's one exception to that. In 2008 and 2009... The Saudis were trying to drive the new United States shale industry out of business, this new industry that had begun to, that could extract oil from places they couldn't before. They, they increased production exponentially to try to drive down the price, because that's what the Saudis oh, yeah. can do, and to try to drive the shoal industry out of business. Didn't work. The, the U.S. fracking and shoal industry continued to, to, to thrive. We eventually became energy independent because of that. Not because of anything dramatic that Obama did or dramatic that Trump did, just because this, this industry grew up. And the lower price, the lower gas price, was because the Saudis pumped more. Look how many Democrats were opposed to fracking. Our state of New York here, all no, the shale time, right on the Pennsylvania that's, border. That's totally fine. But Obama didn't stop it, nor did Biden. No one has stopped fracking. Okay? Cuomo. Cuomo stopped fracking. I'm not saying that some people are not opposed to fracking, and I have some problems with it. I'm just making the point, if we can return to it, that somehow Biden did something to raise the price of oil. You began with the absolutely correct premise. It is a market commodity in a free market economy that goes up and down based on things that have very little to do with government. And if supply and demand is really what you think is driving the price primarily, I just want to point out that nothing that Biden did. Now, there's one other thing that people point out on on WABC radio, and that is – that there's all these government leased lands that the that the um, that the that Biden doesn't want to expand the use of those leased lands for new permits to drill on. First of all, it's only seven percent of all the oil drilled in the United States is on leased lands. These are lands owned by you and I, the taxpayer. And there are nine thousand permits that are currently outstanding that have not been tapped. I know, but even even if tomorrow they started drilling, it's going to take a long time before yes. that would ever get to market. Correct. But in the meantime, we're signing up to the Venezuelans. We want more of their oil. Saudi, we want more of their oil. And the Canadians are saying, "Wait a second, we got plenty of oil here between Mexico, Canada, and the United States." 
all three countries can be completely self-sufficient in terms of their energy need, in terms of petroleum products and natural gas. That's not the way prices work. And by the way, let's separate out petroleum products and natural gas. This is an oil issue right now. We have a surplus of natural gas. We export it. So LNG is not our issue. It's oil that goes to be made into gasoline. We were talking about gas prices. Yes, of course, we're constantly browbeating OPEC nations. We're constantly browbeating the Venezuelans. We're constantly browbeating anyone we can to increase production. But, but if but you're the if, Saudis. But hold on a second. Hold on. I just want to make sure we're sticking with the point that it is Biden that is somehow not done enough or done too much of the wrong things. Well, let's look at the up Saudis. To now, up to now, up to now, all of those things I've talked about. He stopped permitting on leased lands. There's plenty of permits that haven't even been tapped. He stopped the XL pipeline. Doesn't add a single ounce to the amount of supply, and it's for a private business that couldn't get it done privately. And it, so it's not that this that there is somehow the president has a way to turn on and off the gov- the supply. But let me ask one other one other final point about this: the Canadians, the Venezuelans. This all goes into the amount of net supply there is in the on the globe. Okay, if we take out the 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 Russians from that mix, and they're about seven to ten percent, seven percent at our end. About they're a little, they're more in Europe. The idea is to keep prices down. You increase supply, but none of the people that pump mind there being high prices. Und- the, understood, look, but look okay. at the Saudis. You have them uh, now all of a sudden rubbing footsies with the red Chinese, saying, you know something, it shouldn't be the dollar anymore that's the determiner of how much a price of petroleum product is. Uh, so where it says like $130 or $100, uh, do it to the yuan, a red Chinese yuan. And all of a sudden, we can't even talk to them because Biden is hell-bent on having an agreement with Iran. In fact, he's trying right, to get hold, Iran to pump more oil. Hold on, Why see. would he want to turn off the Sunnis, who have been our allies, in order to deal with our enemy? Just to get more oil and supposedly deter them from getting the nuclear weapon. Okay, there's a lot there. Well, how about to, how to, we, to, we hold to on? Begun, to, to, to begin with, that the Saudis want the wand to be the, U, the, the, the world's reserve currency. Good luck with that. It, the T-bill is the reserve currency for the world. We heard the same thing about the euro. We're certainly not going to hear it about the wand. That the Saudis want is they want higher prices. They like this state. And by the way, so does Exxon. So does BP. So do all those people that you you say let's let's somehow blame Biden. There's no rule in. But if there if there's there, no there is in, a glut of oil, the price goes down. There's nothing they can do to artificially keep it high. The value of of oil of Texas crude and and of crude oil in general has fluctuated by thirty percent this week. Has the price of the gas pump fluctuated? Well, that's going to be reflected in six weeks. No, it won't. It's a six never week curve. Never happens. Never happens. Sure. Do you ever see gas that's prices go down as fast as they go up? No, of course never not. Never happens. So the point is, who are we blaming? We want desperately because we're in this political boxing match now where everything is red team versus blue team. I am fine with blaming Biden for things, blaming Trump for things, either one. Anthony, but you would be this- right. You would be right except for the fact that gas prices were going up before the Russians invaded the okay, Ukraine. Okay, so let's have a conversation about well, well, that. Let's, we got to take a quick break. Open up on phone lines, one 800 It's Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa on the right, here exclusively on WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Sliwa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Now, uh, Anthony Weiner in combine with the price uh, of energy is the inflation that you see right across the board. 
in fact, because they're going to be raising uh, the rates uh, uh, of uh, loans, the percentages are going up. It was at an all-time low about a year ago, 3%. It's now creeping up 4 5 That affects the credit card loans. That affects the 30-year mortgage rates on homes. So everything exponentially now starts going up. So the consumer is like getting hammered everywhere. They're getting hammered in the supermarket. The prices are up, hammered at the pump. And now when they go for a loan, they're getting hammered there. So they're feeling like squeezed in. Now, all of this is happening when Joe Biden is president of the United States. And you saw what happened with Jimmy Carter. It's what caused him to lose his reelection bid against uh, Ronald Reagan at that point. The fact that we were in high inflation and people had had enough. And I think uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris are facing that same reality that all of these prices are going up simultaneously. And let's face it, the independent voters who determine the elections, they they don't have an allegiance to Democrats or Republicans when it's a uh, pocketbook issue. When it's a wallet issue, uh, whoever it seems that can get those prices down is going to get their vote. Yeah, I mean, let's spend a moment on the politics, but not much more. I agree. This is a terrible time for Democrats to be running. But I let's take a look at a pick a year. Let's let's pick March 2020. March 2020, our incomes took the biggest one month hit um, in the last 70 years since the Great Depression. Well, what happened in that month? Our government, our economy came to a complete halt. Donald Trump was in office. I don't think anyone could say, now you can dispute that how he handled it. I didn't think he handled it very well. We can have another show about that. But when an economy goes into a, a, a pandemic, an international pandemic, the economy slams the brakes. Does oil consumption go to the floor? Yep. Do oil prices go to the floor? Yep. Does economic activity go to the floor? You bet. And so to some degree... You are, that is the base off which we're having this now. And so what happens? So we come out of that period, all kinds of government stimulus is put in, all kinds of jobs, people start returning to work. Suddenly we all start buying stuff again and whoop, it takes off. Combined with supply chain problems and combined with this new war, yes, you've got this really difficult problem. Now, but getting back to what I opened with, what is it that we think that, that uh, um, President Biden could do to make it better? Or has not done that has made it worse. First, on the second part, I can't think of anything that he's done to make it worse when every every country, every industrialized country in the world is seeing almost the exact same inflation rates. Most of them are either the same. Some of them are even higher than we have. So our our fiscal policies are not all that. I, I don't believe that, that they're necessarily blamed. Some people say, well, wait a minute. What about all of the money that he and the Democrats are sloshing into? Yeah, into the, the printing of uh, in- extraordinary amounts of money with the stimulus. Many of the stimulus dollars Ooh. still haven't been spent the stimulus going money, back to the Trump administration. The stimulus money, two-thirds of it was in the Trump years. But the largest increase in our federal debt. Hold on. I just want to make sure we're blaming the right people here. That's all this conversation is about is people are blaming Biden for this. All I'm saying is this is you can believe if you believe that a contributing factor to this. And by the way, we've been running deficits as far as the eye can see going back 30 years now. This is the first time we're seeing inflation result from it. Let's assume that it is. What is the single biggest grower of the of the deficit and of the debt? It was the Trump years, the combination of the tax cuts and the big and the big stimulus at the end. Now, I didn't support the tax cuts. I did support the big stimulus at the end. But if you want to say that that's contributing to it, feel free right. to do but it. Then but then Biden you can't, compounded but you can't, How did Biden oh, compound Because it? he starts spending money that we don't even have. The Federal Reserve has to print it. Hold on. No the, one has, the system is flush with got cash. It, well, first of all, don't make a distinction that Biden printed money that we don't have. We have been running deficits since Bill Clinton. 
smaller deficits under Obama than there were under well, Trump. Bill Clinton had a balanced budget. I understand. That's what I'm saying. Until, uh, since then, we've been ostensibly yes. borrowing money to, to fund the government. That's what the national debt is. The debt is deficit is each year how much more we spend than we take in. The debt is the accumulated amount. Of, so don't say like Biden has been printing money we didn't have. It, it, the, the, the efforts that Biden were smaller, spending less than under the Trump. But years. he didn't have to. What do you, how could you say well, you, you had a lockdown to. and pandemic? You made the argument. March of 2020, the economy grinds to a halt. People are out of work. Businesses are ready to go under. So Donald Trump does what you have to do, which is fuel that economy, oh, keep, them, keep for, them alive. Wait, okay, that's fine. Everybody but, agreed on But that. wait a minute. In January of 2021, you forget where we were. We were by no means out of the woods on this thing. We had giant deficits here in New York City. That's part of what the money went to pay for. So we didn't have to slash cops and firefighters and teachers. The, the, to say that the crisis was over in January 2021 is rewriting history. But if you're going to look at it locally, look at uh, – uh, the mayor at that time, Bill de Blasio, did he do his his part? No, he puts in a budget of $101 billion, larger than the budget of the state of Florida. So outrageous because he was flush with stimulus well, dollars. Well, but hold on. So, yeah, similar but, to New York State, Hochul, and similar to Jersey and, with all, Murphy. All 50 states, all 50 states, Democrat and Republican alike, had another problem at the beginning of 21. Their economies had been at zero, so their, their revenues that they brought in for state and local taxes was at zero. Someone had to fill that in. They can't print their own money. You can dispute all that you want about, about whether or not we should be doing these bailouts. But the biggest, far bigger one was under the Trump years. And all I'm trying to point out that is we're going to say that there's a villainous cycle here, that Biden is spending like a drunken sailor, and that's what's spurring, spurring um, inflation. That's okay, well, but you, you would, cannot uh, ignore. Similarly, when the economy crashed, uh, when the Fortune 500 crew on Wall Street almost uh, caused the entire economy of the world to crash, uh, it was Barack Obama, the president, who took out and started printing money and had to in order to bail out the economy. You're not going to criticize him for that, right? It's so funny that you say that. Yes, he had to. That's right. He did it without a well, single didn't Republican. Donald Trump he have did it to without do that? A, yes. And all I'm saying but is that Joe Biden didn't have to do that. Yes, I, w- w- you're just repeating the point that I just made. In January 21, when he came in, the states and localities were still getting squashed. We still had to invest a ton of money in, in COVID re- response. Remember, we- we're here a year and a, a year and a third later. You forget that it, in, at that time. And all the point that I'm making is, if you believe that you want to blame someone for printing too much money, in that case, you at least well, have to blame. What has, what has Joe Biden done, President of the United States, to put the brakes on? To put the brakes on inflation? Yeah. Okay. So one of the, Nothing. Things, Nothing. One of the things I want to point – I'm trying to point out with all of this is that by pointing out that inflation is something that goes on globally and not locally. And, that, and to pointing out that if you believe that, printing, that, 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 that borrowing too much money is a mistake, I think that's fair to say. But you better be consistent. You better say it's, it's wrong to do it under every administration, not just wrong to say it under Biden because, frankly, as a percentage of G- GDP and in real number term, tr- Trump had the highest deficit. So you would in the agree entire- both parties have not had the uh, discipline to stop this believe- endless spending of money that believe- we don't have. That I we don't have. The highest deficits in, in our nation's history, G.W. Bush under a war, Lincoln under civil war, and Trump under Trump. What was our great challenge we had to spend a bunch of money for? Well, you said it. There was no economy. We uh, were crashing. All right. Okay. The point that I'm making, though, is that, that one, if for at least a year of that, Biden had the same thing. But in answer to your question, my view is when it comes to inflation in a globalized economy, to point at any single person 
and say, okay, that guy did or didn't do something. A lot of it is, 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 is monetary policy. Well, your problem is, though, that you have a sitting president now, Joe Biden, and Vice President Harris, who've done nothing to put the brakes on. The appearance is that they're spending money that we, the taxpayers, know that our children are going to be responsible for and our grandchildren. Well, that, of all of the phony arguments, that's in that case, why did you want, want the giant tax cuts? When things were going, the economy was doing very well under Donald Trump. How come you wanted those giant tax cuts? Yeah, what was that for? But, but, Anthony, you're dealing with the here and now. And Joe Biden hasn't given the impression that he's going to put the brakes on. Right. And Democrats like yourself, liberals and progressives, have said, oh, there's no problem with an increased debt and increased deficit. I, I actually That's don't good. believe. I actually don't you, believe. You heard them say I don't that. believe that fiscal policy leads that much to inflation. We now have 50 years where it hasn't. I think this was this uh, a combination. I mean, COVID was unprecedented. We've never had a, our, our system shut down the way it is. Never. Totally understood. Totally Trump understood. Trump did what he had to do. I get it. But pick your side. You're either saying that the, the in-president. Well, what, what is the problem here, me, now? No, but let me, let, me, let me just finish my thought. If you want to say that I want to blame the guy in charge, irrespective of what role he had in it, then you've got to say the same about Trump and Biden. If you say that, if I hear that on this radio station, I won't have I any beef. I would have to disagree because I have any what beef. was the crisis that Biden was facing when he was sworn into office? 2021 COVID. People were going back to work. Wait a minute. 2021. 2000, the January, economy was percolating. January of 2021, yes. The, yes. the economy was just starting to slow. We were not back in these offices. So why do you suddenly take a trough of money and throw it into the system we when didn't. you haven't even spent the money from the previous administration. Because we still had COVID costs. We still had state and local taxes that had been. I'm, I'm repeating myself now. The point that I'm making is if you want to talk about perceptions, fine. People can have their perceptions. They can got to go to the other shows for the perceptions. If you want to really realistically try to figure out what's causing inflation, it is not any one single human being. But it's Joe Biden and Vice President Harris who are going to have to deal with this. And they're showing no signs of putting on the brakes. Well, I mean, and they're blaming Putin. Putin well, is responsible for inflation. Putin is responsible has for the war, price ev- has of a, a loaf war, of bread. Has a war ever not led to increases in, in inflation and reductions of supply of things? But Always. Those, those increases were going on no, before no, no. Putin, he rolled his tanks You in. just said Putin. Right, I'm asking is you. It, is in the Biden can, administration blaming now everything on Putin and his let me, war uh, let, me, let's, let me just return to the question. Have you ever seen a war not lead to shortages of things and inflation? Every war leads to shortages and inflation because it disrupts marketplace like nothing else except perhaps after, after, after Jimmy, COVID. I don't ever remember shortages during the Vietnam War, the endless war that we call the police action. You don't remember that there was inflation during that period and, and that, I mean, I, I mean, it was nothing like this, but... I mean, there was there was no disruption of. Remember, of, we had the Great Society government was spending huge troughs of money. The LBJ administration. So I don't ever remember so these you, kind of shortages. So, so you don't believe you just got done saying that the Russians took seven percent of the of uh, actually closer to ten to twelve percent of the global supply of oil off the market, and you don't no, think that they that didn't take it off the market. We told them nobody's buying your oil. So you're in favor. Nobody's buying well, your natural gonna get gas. To, you're going to get to our policies with Ukraine. So what do you think? You think that was a mistake? I haven't heard anyone in the station say that. I think people have been saying, "Heck yeah, we should." We should yeah. We meantime, should we keep buying their uranium. Well, you what? What hypocrites focus. we are? Focus, Curtis. Focus. Yes, I one, am. One thing at a time. You said that the shortages had nothing to do with inflation and nothing to do with the rise in prices. 
that the fact that the Russian oil was taken off and that we have a war going on has nothing to do with consciously. The we decided to do that. We no. led the world. The Europeans, Canada has oil. Mexico has oil. Venezuela has oil. So the you Saudis don't, have oil. You just got done saying that Iran ca- has oil, and we're dealing with all of our adversaries in order to get the oil back up to. Where I don't it needs want to backtrack to, to that. I cover that issue already. This one here in front of us, the Russians. Oil is now – we're strangling them by by strangling their petrodollars, which is what we should do. If you disagree, you're changing no, your no, position. No, no, we no, should no. do I'm that, right? I'm just saying if you're dealing with their energy, why are we still buying their uranium? Well, a lot of countries are still buying, buying their uranium. 16% of our uranium. Right. And all of it, that doesn't So get you want discussed. to shut down our nuclear power well, also? Well, now, let's face it. That's energy, right? And you, our, isn't there the green people? You want to shut down your nuclear – listen – are liberal and progressives cha- opposed to nuclear, we're, we're nuclear changing, power plants? We're changing the subject by, from but inflation. But that's an energy source. You, you're changing the subject from inflation. If you want to, I will. I want to make sure we're done with inflation and it wasn't Joe but Biden's fault. But just imagine if we cut off the uranium, how the prices would skyrocket on all the energy that is produced by no, the nuclear power plants. No, that plants. would probably what would happen is the nuclear power plants would have to shut down and our prices for electricity uh, would go up. Okay. But, all right. But you, I mean, I, no, you Biden haven't heard not, that explained. Biden is not doing that. What policy is Biden doing? I keep asking you this. You said, oh, we cut off Russian oil. We continue to import Russian uranium as countries do around the world. That's fine. That's fine. That's something that we're doing. If you believe that we shouldn't do it, that will increase inflation. Do you want to do that too? No, no, I'm just saying. Okay, Biden's not doing that. Let's focus on what Biden's doing. What I hear around here, left and right, is Biden doing these things to make things worse. uh, Let's take a break, and then we're going to come back because we have to also deal with uh, the war in the Ukraine and how Joe Biden, our president, and Vice President Harris, and the administration have handled that. 1 800 848 9222. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. So, Anthony Weiner, as a result of the unprecedented flight of the refugees who are running for their lives because uh, Putin is just focused on flattening all the urban areas, uh, including residential areas. The one thing that is not discussed is only 30 percent of Ukrainians were vaccinated and they haven't had booster shots. They're just dealing with like the first shot, maybe the second shot. So here it is. They're in huddled conditions. They're all together. The spread of COVID now is massive. So when the refugees are stuck on those trains and they're coming to their new ports to call, whether it's Hungary, Romania or Poland, which is accepting the most, they're bringing with them in some instances COVID. And there's a new variant in uh, Europe that's starting to hit. How are we going to deal with all of that? Because all of these countries are accepting as many refugees as they can. Eventually, I think we're going to have to take the massive numbers off uh, the hands of our NATO allies who are just going to be totally overwhelmed. And we can't even address that COVID issue. And that may well start another wave of COVID that begins to blanket not only all of Europe, but then eventually North America. The Red Chinese are facing lockdowns now throughout their country, which is affecting their production, which means there's going to be a shortage of supplies because we're so dependent on them. And even though we look at the massive carnage and destruction, we hope that this is going to stop. The COVID now begins to take on a new life because you get six million people leaving the country. Many of them have COVID. Many of them will be spreading COVID. And we got to be able to deal with that, too. And that's a massive, massive effort that requires everyone's participation. Yeah, we might even have to spend some money. 
Might, well, have, that, to, might have to spend something. I'm, I'm just joking. But I, right. look, this is a tragic. It's a tragic situation. In maybe COVID is even the least of it. I mean, people they had that scene of people taking refuge in a theater, marking the building that there are children inside, and still the Russians are attacking those locations. It's a tragedy. How the the refugee part of it works out. Those people from Ukraine want to be in Ukraine. They don't want to be anywhere else. They're being forced out of their homes by by war. I hope we do our part. I'm sure we will. The American people are generous people. I think we're going to have policies to make it easier. But it's not going to be easy, and it's ultimately and first and foremost going to be a European problem. NATO is a defensive treaty organization. We don't have NATO provisions about refugees, but we do have refugee commitments as a country. Um to ourselves. It's in our creed. It's in it's on the Statue of Liberty. Our relatives came here as refugees in one point or another. Um, and I hope I hope that we do do our, our, our part here. But it's not, you know, COVID, the injuries that they're going to have, the schooling requirements for the children who are um, housing, it is going to be it, it's a natural it's it's an, an international disaster that's occurring. I know. But you see, if COVID takes on a new wave and starts affecting the citizens of those countries, and then spreads uh, across uh, across the channel into England, which is just recovered now, and then spreads throughout the rest of the world. Then again, it's uh, semi-lockdowns, partial lockdowns, mass provisions. People will get angry and angry let's and see. angrier. Let, let, let's see. Let's let's see what happens. I mean, the, the, the one thing about this, like so many other things, now we know more now. We know we know what vaccines work. We know what what procedures work and what don't. We know, you know, it's 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 interesting. You look at the the way the stock market has responded. If you look at March of 2020, we were talking about it further. Uh, pre- the stock market plummeted because everyone, no one knew what to expect. Of no course, one knew what this looked course. like. Now, as we've gone through subsequent surges, and even when they've meant that some things have had a lockdowns had to be resumed or other other things, the stock market is still, while not on a straight line, has gone up because at least. People kind of understand what's involved in fighting these things now, but it doesn't change the human cost, and it doesn't mean that it is not going to put in an, an, going to have an impact on both our economy and our lives in many ways. These are the sacrifices that we're making for the people. And check those stocks that deal with the military industrial complex because they're just going to keep going up and up. People are going to be wanting to send more weapons in, which the Ukrainians need to defend themselves. Those weapons then have to be replaced in all these countries. Look at what's happening in Bulgaria. They don't want to send the weapons we gave them and saying, we'll help the humanitarian aid. Uh, the uh, head of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Austin, is there now. They're having demonstrations against Austin. Go back to America. <laughs> all those weapons that are being used on our part to help the Ukrainians are all going to end up being replaced. So the people who are going to be making troughs of money, a part of that industrial uh, weapons complex that Eisenhower warned us about when he left office before JFK was elected uh, against Richard Nixon in one of the closest elections ever. Well, you know what? What about a windfall profits tax? Companies like in the energy sp- in the space who are clearly profiting enormously off of this war and off of this this rising gas prices. Uh, the 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 defense industry. What about saying to those companies like you can make? X percent of profit after that, 50 percent of it goes back to the taxpayer to lower gas prices and to make things easier for taxpayers. What about that as an idea? Can you get all the Democrats to agree on that? Windfall profits tax? Yes. Oh, yeah. Including Manchin? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, we don't need him. We, we would have it. It'd be, I think it'd be very popular. Now, tell me, well, what, what is your position? Well, windfall profits tax, yay or nay? Well, I'd want to look at their spreadsheets. Because well, right now they're claiming you need us more than we need you because you need the weapons of war. 
to help the Ukrainians and to replace all of those NATO allies depleted uh, uh, weapons that are going to the Ukraine. All right, well, let's just stick with the petroleum companies. And there's no argument for that there. Those people are making all hands and fists. They're, they're, they're the people that have these government leases and aren't drilling on them because they like the high prices. How about a windfall profits tax for them? For You, you, you say you, you can pick a high number. Like you can make 40 percent, 50 percent, everything after that. 50 percent of it goes back to the to, to taxpayers to, to, to make up for the cost they're paying at the pump. So you like to do that. Uh, while meantime, we're going to try to get oil from Venezuela, Iran. Uh, I'm, saying, the I'm, saying, I'm saying the oil companies. Let's just say the oil companies. Let's start with one thing at a time. Let's say the BP oil. You can make 40%, but every dollar you make after that 50% goes back to taxpayers. Right now, I want them pumping more oil, more petroleum products. So they want higher the prices. Price you don't understand. They oh, want no, higher no, prices. I understand what they want, <laughs> but when there's a cut, the prices, they no want- matter what they want, go down. We'll continue with the Ukrainian situation up next. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Later on, Anthony Weiner will be talking about Governor Hochul's uh, pirouette spin uh, on uh, what she said at first would be, no, we're not changing the Nobel issue to a 10-point plan that says, yeah, I want to change the Nobel issue. Uh, But uh, let's get back into the whole situation in the Ukraine. We see that uh, Putin had his rally yesterday in Moscow, 200,000 strong. They're all flying the Russian Federation flags. It was the anniversary of uh, the plebiscite they had in the Crimea where the people there supposedly voted to be uh, become part of the uh, satellite sphere of the old Soviet Union under Putin. A huge rally. He's doubled down. He's hitting residential targets in urban areas. He's hitting military targets, uh, aircraft uh, repair center, military barracks, residential housing. He just does not seem to be letting up at all. And the pressure is on the president in the United States, Vice President Harris, uh, Pentagon, to get uh, weapons, uh, uh, better grade weapons to help the Ukrainians fight off these uh, assaults. Uh, We're talking about those MiGs that Poland originally said, hey, we'll send them to West Germany. You refit them on the United States base. Let's get them into the hands of Ukrainian uh, pilots. We've got the uh, uh, anti-missile defense batteries. We've got drones. President seems uh, to be uh, open to sending in more of the drones, sending in more of the anti-missile batteries, but has drawn a line and said no MiGs because that is going to encourage uh, a potential war with Russia and certainly no fly zone. In fact, uh, Greg Kelly, who was Colonel Greg Kelly in the Marine Corps, participated in the no fly zone in Iraq. You know, he was up there on a regular basis. And from his opinion, having actually flown a no fly zone, he goes, you got to understand I'm up there. They shoot at me. I got to shoot at them. I got to take them out. This is it's, it's an act of war when you put up a no-fly zone. Uh, what would your advice be uh, to the president of the United States who's getting it, Joe Biden, from uh, from all sides? Well, that that's actually one of the, of all of the issues that I hear discussed by some of our colleagues here at WABC that are critical of Joe Biden. The weird thing is they're very critical of President Biden, but then you look at all of the things that he's done, and there's consensus. And I think there's consensus among the American people. Let's take a look at some of it. You know, one of it is this idea of a no-fly zone. You and I have discussed it before. Sounds very good. It's a nice bumper sticker. But in fact, it's an aggressive thing. The 
anti-aircraft batteries that you have to take out in order to enforce a no-fly zone are in Russia. So if you think that it's a good idea for us to be flying in the air over Ukraine and then taking out um, anti-aircraft uh, um, uh, infrastructure within Russia, most Americans don't. The bipartisan uh, Congress doesn't, nor does President Biden. President Biden has organized NATO and organized the world in a way that has been more effective and arguably than any time since George H.W. Walker Bush organized the, the Gulf War. You've got not only do you have all the NATO countries in unison, not only do you have people um, standing shoulder to shoulder isolating Putin, but even countries like Germany are starting to ramp up their military capacity. Even Europe is saying that they're not going to be taking um, oil from from Russia. The, the sanctions regime that's been set up is as tough as it's ever been. It targets not only Russia, but targets the individual oligarchs. That has been working. And he has now created President Biden and his team have created something that many on the right have been saying needed to be done for the longest time to make it clear that it's the entire world against China and Russia, which is exactly where the lines. No footsie with Russia anymore. No, you know, they attacked us in 2016 and got away with it. None of that anymore. So all of these things and all of these things are things that all of the hosts and our colleagues here, including you, have said you support. And yet, no, we hate Biden. Look, I get it. We are, as I've said, a, we're a country that's very divided. We have our teams. We like Trump. We don't like Trump. We like Biden. We don't like Biden. But if you look at the policies that beneath this Ukraine effort, as tragedy, as tragic it has been, there is there is a lot of unanimity. Unanimity is too strong a word. A lot of majority support in this country across party lines that the things we're doing are the things we need to do. Are they tough? Are there hard decisions to make? Yes, but I think the Biden administration well, has the done polls, the right. The polls indicate that Americans want a no-fly zone. So in the words of Bill O'Reilly, who's heard on this station, he said, look, uh, that ain't going to cut it. Uh, Greg Kelly, who served in the no-fly zone uh, for the United States in Iraq, that's not going to cut it. Uh, people want us to send those retrofitted MiGs, those old MiGs. Uh, Bill Riley said they'll be shot right out of the sky. The Soviet Air Force and their um, their their uh, missile batteries will shoot those makes right out of the sky. Why would we do that and then possibly want to escalate this? But it seems the more pictures that we're getting from the Ukraine of the carnage, of the death, of the destruction, of the nature of uh, Vladimir Putin, who has showed us this before in his previous military engagements, uh, one, Americans are getting like they're becoming armchair generals. It's sort of like, yeah, let's some are even saying send troops in. Are you out of your mind? Right. Right. So what are we learning in this conversation? We're learning that the left and the right basically have the same positions on these things. We are not divided on these things. We don't think that the president is doing the wrong things. We think he's doing the right things. By the way, one brief moment of correction is Lieutenant Colonel Kelly. I mean, they're very, 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 me, they're me. very yeah, jealous yeah, about protecting right. their ranks, right. you know, so I just want to make sure, which is nothing to sneeze at. But now He's, this is the other difference is, I believe, even though you know I'm not a Trumper, that if uh, Donald Trump were president at this point, if he had won re-election, this would not be happening with Vladimir Putin. There, there would be no invasion of the Ukraine. You know, Absolutely one, not. One of the things I don't want to do in my time here is be constantly relitigating Trump. But I will say this, we were attacked in 2016, and Trump not only didn't do anything about it, but basically gave Putin a pass. So, I, I, I mean, I, we now know what happens when we get attacked by Putin. Trump did nothing. Not only did he do nothing, he was an apologist for it until about a month and a half ago. But I don't want to be a guy who's on the station constantly relitigating Trump any more than I want to relitigate Hillary Clinton. All that being said, 
we can try to argue what the counterfactual well, well, would be. Let me point out what is. We see that behind the uh, kimchi curtain of North Korea, they're firing missiles off left, right, every which way. That had ceased to exist when Donald Trump went one-on-one and met with their totalitarian dictator. We see that uh, the president of Red China is basically flipping the bird to Joe Biden and saying, you don't tell us what to do. We're going to work with the Russians. What do you mean? Yeah, no, actually, the Chinese are really isolated right now. They're trying to figure out what they want to do. They've been arguing left, right, and center that that they believe in the integrity of of borderlines, and now Putin is putting them in this this position. And if anything, the Chinese believe in in the marketplace as their great tool to dominance, and the marketplace is getting disrupted. I'm glad. Biden has done a skillful job putting the two of these, Putin and, 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 and Xi, in this corner with one another where they belong. That's where they that that's where they 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 absolutely should be. And as far as North Korea, if you want to claim that North Korea was demilitarized or reduced their nuclear program under Trump, I'd like to see some evidence. They were not a they threat like it. they are now. Look at them. Every other who, week, you're firing off guys, missiles. They're a two-bit country. They're the only country. North North North, uh, North Korea is the only country voting with the Russians during this 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 war. I mean. If you think that there's a success there, what 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 did they what did what President Trump accomplish? What do you mean? There was a secession of the no. firing of the missiles. Yeah, but the nuclear program of the continued. march to a nuclear weapon. No, it hasn't. To see what what did what did the North Koreans give up? Nothing. They gave him a photo op and got nothing so for it. So you think it's better now that they're practicing with their missile technology every other week, they firing do, further and further they into the do, ocean? They do these shows and have done these shows ever for 30 years now of different sorts. Okay? That's what they do. But to say that this, this summit, and I've got air quotes up with my hands, this summit stopped it. He said— because of the Trump strategy, you were going to reduce the nuclear capabilities in North, North Korea. Hypo, uh, um, um, uh, rhetorical question here. Did it at all? The answer is no. He made zero progress. He gave him a beautiful photo op and got nothing for it. No, I'd have to totally disagree with what you. What did he get? Because what has, what has Joe Biden done? He okay, hasn't even on. addressed the hold situation. On, on. Yes. He has gone back to the, what the policy had been in Democratic Republic and Republican presidencies up to then, which is – Draw a line in the sand with the, with the North Koreans. Say to them, we are not going to acknowledge you at all because you're a little two-bit dictatorship. We are, we are not going to give you the attention you so badly desire. You shoot something into the ocean. We don't make a big deal of it. We certainly don't give you a photo op. And, then, and, and we, we primarily we leave our troops where they are. We don't send our president over there and crossing the demilitarized zone to, to do a big ceremony and then walk away with nothing Wait in minute. return. Meantime, we're negotiating with Iran that has its technicians deep in North Korea, helping them to develop their own nuclear weapon as Iran is doing as we speak. And we're doing it all so that we can get more of their oil and give them access to a nuclear weapon. That's insane. Well, I, I believe what. If you want to talk, the the progress on Iran getting a nuclear weapon had been stopped under Obama and restarted under Trump. That is a fact. Excuse me. (laughs) You really think you would prefer the uh, Obama method and now the Biden method? If you care about a nuclear nuclear weapon in the hands of Iran, 
The Nuclear Regulatory Commission of the United States of, of, of America under both Obama and Trump said I, that there was no that? progress. Now that Russia has opted out. There Russia was, says we're not, no, we're no, not part guys, of those negotiations. We had inspectors under, under, the, under the treaty. Right, but we have red Chinese involved. We have Russians involved. We, we have inspectors. Europeans involved. It's not just us. We had international inspectors under the treaty. Once you tear up the treaty, the inspectors get thrown out. What you're, that what, what, what you're d- discounting is the effort that the Israelis have had on a regular basis to take out their development of nuclear weapons. The Israelis agreed that the Iran under the deal. Now, they didn't like it for other reasons because it didn't say anything about Iran exporting their terrorism around the world. And that's true. It didn't say anything about. But if you just care about them getting a nuclear weapon, the progress had stopped under Obama and resumed when they tore up the deal. All that's of them. Just a All fact. of them want a nuclear weapon now. They see what's happened to the Ukraine. They gave up its nuclear payload. They're saying we they're invaded by Russia because they gave up all their nuclear weapons. Iran is on the fast track. North Korea is on the fast track. The only guarantee uh, to not being destabilized from outside forces is to have a nuclear weapon. Look at uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Look at all these regimes in which we've tried to do regime change. If they had a nuclear weapon, I doubt seriously if we would have tried to do regime change. Well, it was a very tough deal for, for Ukraine. To have to figure out what to do when they had these loose nukes in their country after the fall of the Iron Curtain, after the fall of the wall, and after the dissolution of USSR. Remember, they had these weapons, but they didn't have command and control over them. They just had a whole bunch of weapons lying in their country. And I think we did the right thing by basically giving them money to give up their their weapons. Let's go to the phones if we can. Anthony, we've dominated the discussion. Let's try Maria, who's calling from Tom's River. Thanks for joining us, Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Slew on the right here at WABC, Maria. Oh, hi. Uh, uh, Congratulations, Curtis, on your continued success. I hope Mr. Katz will give you 40 hours and not 20 hours. <laughs> and, and Mr. Weiner, I salute your courage that in the face of all your difficulties, you're not afraid to be public again and try to make yourself relevant. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate okay. it. Now, look, I'm not an economist. I'm not a professor. I'm a simple person. All I know is that the day that Donald Trump left office, I was paying $2.20 a gallon for gas. There was no inflation. There was no war in Russia. There was the border was at least somewhat under control. Uh, he had scrapped that awful deal with Iran. The bad guys were afraid of us. And now, um, and a month ago, before the war started in Ukraine, the gas was already up to three dollars and sixty-three cents. We had this ridiculous supply problem, which we didn't have under Trump. The inflation is out of control. And now the war started, and and at that point, gas was $3.63 a gallon, and we had all these problems. And now Mr. Biden is very conveniently able to blame everything on Putin. It's all Putin's fault. It's all the war in Ukraine. And you're doing the same thing now. You're blaming everything on – he's blaming all these problems on Putin, and you're blaming all these problems on Mr. Trump. So in summation – you, you're very eloquent. You can talk till you're blue in your face. <laughs> but people like me see what's happening. And hopefully, you know, the liber- you know these crazy progressive Democrats are going to be consigned to the dustbin of history. That's the way I see it. Well, thank you, Maria. Let, let me just let me just try a couple of things. And I appreciate the, the kind wish. And I appreciate the call because there is there is a timing. Pro- there is something that happened at the end. January of 20th of 2021, gas prices were lower, primarily because 
every a lot of things were depressed in price that were not being used because that we were still in the throes of lock of of COVID. The lockdowns had, were still going on. The economy had still not rebounded. People were not flying. People were not taking cruise ships. People were not taking automobiles. All of the things that lead to a spike in demand that happened. Uh, the prices get crashing down for oil under Donald Trump. No doubt about it. As a matter of fact, our um, because of the end of the year, we had so little activity under in that last year of Donald Trump that we also had surpluses of oil left and right and everything else. The point that I'm making is that the economy, when it came roaring back the way it did, and I think partially to Trump's credit because of the stimulus bill that we passed, then all thing, we all had a lot more money and we started shopping. When you start shopping, people need to ship. When you start shipping, people consume gas and oil. And I guess the, the point I'd like to make to Maria and to you, Curtis, and to some of the other hosts around here is that simply you know, there's this a fallacy in Latin. They call it ad hoc ergo propter hoc. Just because something happened and then something else happened doesn't mean that it was well, caused everything, by that. Well, everything is optics, as you know. Look no, at, no, no, no. Everything is not optics. Some things are facts. No, the general American uh, population is not a political wonk one way or the other. They are very independent. They're going to go based on uh, uh, pocketbook issues, uh, as Bill Clinton said. It's the economy, stupid, the economy and what you're paying. So Maria makes the case that she sees a total difference from when Trump left office to when Biden is in office. How do you convince people in a midterm election scenario that, in fact, the Marias of the world are wrong when she might well be? We didn't ask her a party affiliation. But uh, there will be many independents and uh, conservative and moderate Democrats who are probably going to vote Republican. Yeah, Some let, of them maybe for the first time. Let, look, let me let me let me say this. Let me say this 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 again because it's a good point. It, I mean, I could try to do what I think should be the pitch for why you should vote for Democrats. I'm a partisan Democrat, not as progressive as some of them, not as conservative as other ones. But what I wanted to do a little bit here is here we are. We have two hours in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. People are relaxing with their their bagel and coffee. Soon baseball will be on the air, thank God. And to do a little bit more beyond just this looks bad, vote for Republicans, or this doesn't look bad, vote for Democrats. I want to try to uh, make people understand that while there is a notion of wanting to ascribe straight point A to point B blame for things on whoever is in power – very often, particularly when you're talking about these global economic things, you just don't have a lot of things that you can do. Sure, you can slam the brakes on spending, which a lot of people think makes a recession work. Sure, you can try to drive taxes through the roof or drive them down to the floor, and you can say, well, these are good or bad policies. But when it comes to things like oil prices, it comes to think about a global pandemic, you know what? All you want is good, competent leadership, and it's going to be bad. I think Donald Trump lost the election in large part because COVID happened on his watch. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He didn't make COVID, uh, right? No, nobody is going to argue with you on that, other than if you thought the election was stolen. But let's look at just, again, the visuals, which to me are important. Boudicier, brand new uh, Secretary of Transportation. Uh, He was on domestic leave. We saw the ships backed up belly to belly, Port of Los Angeles, Port of Oakland, San Francisco, Port of Seattle, Port of Portland, and people are saying, well, why? Why are they stacked up like that? Why is the government not intervening? Then you see DeSantis saying, hey, come through the Isthmus of Panama, come through the Panama Canal. You'll be able to unload your cargo here in Florida and get to your point of destination, either by truck or by rail. Right, right. So this is a classic. This is a perfect example. So the international backlog in shipping 
which was the result of us basically buying a lot of things on Amazon, having them delivered to China, China being in a shutdown situation, the basically the entire economy had seized up. And believing that the federal government, the president, the transportation secretary can somehow come up with a solution to stop what marketplaces has decided was the most efficient way to travel. You know, it's funny that that so many so many people who are conservatives, free market guys say, well, maybe government should force a supply route from California, Huntington, California to Shreveport, Louisiana, or worse yet to Florida. And that's the solution to a giant economic challenge. No, very often the marketplace knows where it has to go and things take more time and less time. And there are problems that occur now. It's been relieved. Was it relieved because of some act of Congress? No. It's been believed, relieved because smart entrepreneurs went in the business of figuring out ways to get some of those shipping containers back from China, some of the times even empty. And, you know, frankly, sometimes it's Biden, but in this case it wasn't. Well, up next, Anthony Weiner, we've got to talk about issues affecting the state of New York because all of a sudden Andrew Cuomo seems like he's toying with the idea of running for governor against Kathy Hochul either uh, in a Democratic primary or possibly as an independent. And Hochul, possibly feeling the pressure, has just released a 10-point plan to scale back the no-cash bail issue that she said she was firmly in support of, along with the supermajority in Albany. We're going to get your uh, points on this because, boy, this is a classic pirouette uh, like we've seen Republicans and Democrats do when all of a sudden an issue may be taking its toll on your ability to stay in office and get uh, elected. Our number is one 800 It's Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, here on the right, exclusive to WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Anthony Weiner, uh, as we see, uh, we are in a election cycle uh, for a new governor. Uh, a lot of uh, local elections will be determined, uh, state assembly, state senate. And the number one issue in the minds of the voters is crime. And attached to that is uh, the no cash bail issue. Previously, uh, Mayor Eric Adams uh, made the trip up to Albany to lobby people he knew, including Governor Hochul, who he's been very supportive of. Carl Hastie, Speaker of the Assembly, and uh, Stuart Cousins, uh, leader of the majority of the Democrats in the state Senate. And they basically told him, no, we're not making any adjustments at this point. Uh, Hochul was very specific. I stand uh, with uh, uh, Cousins and Hastie. Now she seems to have broken ranks by releasing uh, into the press a 10-point plan that would actually make more crimes bail eligible involving weapons, those occurring on a subway or bus against a passenger and employee would have bail and then giving more leeway to judges, especially if a person is a predicate offender and they've been arrested over and over in 18 months. So she seems to have broken ranks. Now, is that because she woke up and realized, wow, this is a problem? Or she's looked at recent polling that indicates that Cuomo is neck and neck with her if he were to run against her in a Democratic primary. And he's going to the right as he did in the Bronx, oh, the crime is rampant. And obviously Republicans benefit, all the Republican candidates, uh, depending on who emerges as the winner of their primary, because it's like driving this election cycle. So is this really based on a change of ideology or based on the change in the polls? Do you support what she's proposing? 
Do I support what she's proposing? Yeah, for the most part. So she got to the right place. Yeah, but she's got to convince her leadership. Okay, but I mean, I guess, look, Adams supported fixing this bail reform law. You've been roughing him up. Other people on this station have been roughing him up. He said, I went up to Albany and made my case. Every time there's a crime that one of these, these fits, sometimes even when they don't, he raises this subject. Hochul said at the very beginning, I'm looking at all policy options. You know, this is the way it's supposed to work. Now, we can quibble about what the politics are in terms of, I mean, I believe this was the obvious place to arrive from word go. I said it on the very first show we had. Yes, you I, did. I, believe, yes, you I did. believe this is something that should be fixed, even though it's only 1% of the cases of the felonies are in this category. Even if it's five, we should take care of it. If for no other reason, it's a common sense thing to fix. But they got to the right place. And hopefully the state legislature gets to the right place. And that's what we as citizens should want. We should acknowledge sometimes people are going to get it wrong or we're going to disagree or we're going to advocate for a law that's not going to happen instantly overnight. But the process is going to work and it gets to the right place. This is a success for the system. No one has screwed anything up by saying, I want to make a, take a look at it. I think the state legislature is perfectly reasonable to say, listen, there's not a lot of data that shows this is a giant problem. But we got to the right place. Hochul deserves credit. Adams deserves credit for the way that he did it, and hopefully the state legislature, they follow and make these changes. Yeah, but the reality is you know Hochul has no control over this process because you have Carl Hasty, Speaker of the Assembly. This might never see the light of day on the floor. Uh, Stuart Cousins, they both dug in. Uh, Janaris, who is number two in the Democratic uh, State Senate leadership, has dug in. So she's posturing now because she recognizes she's dropping like a rock in the polls Against Cuomo. That was a shock. Anthony, you have to if admit, Gov- that was I a w- shock. Four points behind. I, I want it. Well, let's do the politics next. But first on the, on the substance of it, I, I never worked in Albany. I was never in the assembly. I was in the city council, then in Congress. We have a pretty strong governor system here. If she puts something in her budget or if she decides that she wants to make this happen, and also she doesn't go out there only to make the announcement and then not get it done. So I presume this is part of the dance that leads to it. What it ultimately looks like, what's the deal that gets worked out. You have the governor advocating for the right thing, advocating for what Swazi advocated for. I don't know what Cuomo's position was. Remember, Cuomo was the governor. If you don't like this law, Cuomo was the governor when it passed. All of that being said, this is a good reminder that legislatures don't work on a, on a WABC radio schedule. It might take a little while to get done, but I think now that the governor is advocating for this, it's going to happen. I totally disagree. But let's look at the Cuomo factor because I okay. believe – that's what caused her to do this pirouette. All the pundits, all the prognosticators, Cuomo doesn't have a chance in hell at running for statewide election. Whether he decided somehow to run against Napoli in a Democratic primary for controller or Tish James uh, AG and definitely not against Hochul. She was like just breaking out in uh, Democratic poll after poll. Then Emerson College does a poll. Guess what? He's only four percentage points behind, and he's he's meeting with all kinds of persons. He goes up, and it sort of proves what so many have said. Politics makes strange bedfellows. Here's the guy who was responsible for gay and lesbian uh, marriage in the state of New York, which led the way nationally. He's meeting with Ruben Diaz Sr. and the Bronx Hispanic Coalition, mostly conservative Democrats, uh, many have called them homophobes because uh, they're not open to gays and lesbians and certainly not marriage. And he's being embraced by them. They're embracing him. What, what, what do you think he's doing? I think, personally, he's looking at a third party. 
Because the Republicans will nominate their candidate, whether it's Zeldin, Harry Wilson, Astorino, or the guy I'm supporting, Andrew Giuliani. That'll be in the primary at the end of June. The Democrats uh, will nominate there. So let's say Cuomo just says, ah, I'm not going to go in a Democratic primary, but I can start collecting signatures after April 4th when you have to qualify on the two major party lines. And it's easy because anybody can sign an independent position, uh, petition. You can be a Democrat. You can be a Republican, independent. He'll get the signatures. And can you imagine uh, uh, a third party line involving Cuomo versus Hochul? and the survivor in the Republican primary process. Yeah, I will eat this table if that happens. Look, we have conversations about third-party candidates all the time, and I defy you to tell me the last time that we've had one. I mean, it doesn't work out this way because, one, Democrats and Republicans generally vote for their own guys, and to the extent that someone votes for a third person, it's got to be something entirely distinct. If you're a Republican and you have Zeldin saying – Hochul's terrible and Cuomo's saying Hochul's terrible. Why wouldn't you just vote for your Republican? So I don't know where his votes would come from. So he could be a spoiler and it could be very beneficial to the Republican nominee. Oh, that's for sure. Oh, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought. Yes. Couldn't this be part of his revenge cycle? If you believe that Cuomo wants to light the place on fire on his way out the door. Yes, he could do that. I don't believe that anyone runs for office for the purpose of doing that. I think they run because they think they can win, and I don't think he can win. And by the way, who who didn't think that if he puts a ten million dollars on the air, his polls weren't going to go up? If you know, if if you put you on the air, you had ten million dollars to run against Eric Adams, you would have come close to beating him too. Yeah. Like um, that TV does turn people's attention. All right, but that being said. We do know that Cuomo so badly wants to get at the established Democrats in the state that he felt abandoned him, especially Hochul. Uh, I could easily see him running third party. Uh, Remember what he did in the state Senate. He created the uh, independent Democrats. Remember, there were seven state senators, including uh, the only one I think who survived was Diane Savino. They all got taken out by Democrats who were in a rage because they always uh, met and they caucused with the Republicans, giving the Republicans a strong majority in the uh, state Senate. I could easily see him doing that whole routine again and yeah. doing quite well. So you think a guy concerned about his legacy because he was forced to resign in disgrace locks his legacy in by making a Republican governor and losing on his way out the door. It doesn't make a lot of sense. His his return to redemption is winning is not being a spoiler and dragging the party into Republican rule. That would be quite the horrible footnote for him. I Look, I, I, the, the interesting part is, who he, I don't know what you can learn by who he's been talking to up to now. Ruben Diaz is essentially a Republican. It probably hurts him more in the Democratic primary than helps him. He, he spoke at a coalition of African-American churches, base Democratic supporters who probably – are a little more conservative. This may sound counterintuitive, but especially the females, African American, African American church-going households are more conservative Democrats. You know, interestingly, so maybe he runs to her right. I don't think there's a lot of space in a primary to her right. Right? You got Tom Suozzi there. Maybe he drops out of Cuomo runs. I think the way you win these primaries is going to the left in Democratic primaries, and I think he. I don't know. I I, I don't see his path, but. Check back with me in another $20 million of spending, and we'll see. Anthony, this is good old-fashioned, Godfather-esque on the 50th anniversary. It's Michael Corleone looking at Chris Cuomo, his brother, who's suing CNN for $125 million. 
And Joe Bacocco, who just got out of prison, that all the Cuomos have been so dependent on, he's a wartime conciliary saying, guys, we settle all scores. We settle all scores. And you know what that's like in politics, Anthony. I'm sure you have been uh, at times the object of that. Leave the cannoli. <laughs> exactly. 1-800-848-9222. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Uh, Anthony Weiner. Rudy Giuliani, who's heard on this station Monday through Fridays from 3 to 4, the former mayor, and Sunday mornings uh, from 10 to 11 before uh, Jeanine Pirro, uh, really was flexing this week, uh, coming out saying he's been vindicated because it's the laptop issue involving Hunter Biden. Uh, sort of synonymous when you say laptop, you think Hunter Biden, but you also think of <laughs> yeah. Anthony Weiner. Uh, so it's the perfect uh, time for you to weigh in on this, but... Uh, that front page of the uh, New York Post that indicated all of the national security advisors through all the years of different presidents who had come out and said that the Hunter Biden laptop uh, information was Russian disinformation. Uh, what do they say now? Because now Rudy has been vindicated having gone down to Delaware, having been able to appropriate uh, the two laptops. Uh, not only is it proven to be his but it's proven not to be a Russian disinformation campaign. Yeah, I, I will admit I'm not the foremost authority on this laptop, and you're exactly right. Whenever I hear laptop, I get PTSD from the you – know, my laptop also made the news at some point. <laughs> um, look, I, I mean, I guess what I would say is, is this. I mean, looking at it from 30,000 feet, you know, there was reason in October of 2020 to be suspicious of this report, Right. It had no no real idea at how it got into the hands of the New York Post. The guy that had the byline at the story was so concerned about it, he insisted that his byline be taken off the story. The story was run without a byline. No one knew even the information was legitimate. And then within the information, there was no, like, smoking gun. It was things like that Biden might have written saying, I think I my my job as a consultant here, I might be able to parlay my family name. But there's nothing about the president himself. At one reference, it refused, referred to the big guy, and there's no evidence that there was any meeting, anything that had to do with, with, with Joe Biden. There was a concern, like, what was the chain of custody of all this information was very suspicious. So there was a lot of reason for people to be suspicious about it. And then to make it even more suspicious, it went into the, the, the Trump administration had control of it. They could have taken this information and charged somebody with something and gotten someone in trouble, and they didn't do that. As a matter of fact, to this day, the FBI hasn't said that all they've said is that we don't think it was Russian disinformation, but even that they haven't said what they think it is, like whether there's any there there. I will say this. I think the way social media handled this was a mistake. I mean, I know that social media is under a lot of pressure to stop Russian disinformation. But stopping something that was in the New York Post, as much problem as I have with the New York Post and as credibility, whatever credibility problems they may have, to say social media is going to put a ban on anything that links to this, I thought was overkill and in, inappropriate, even at the time. I, I'm a libertarian. I'm a liberal in the libertarian yeah. sense. But as far as the, what is the there there, the guts of what's there, it's a guy who has clear problems, okay? He may or may not have brought this into a laptop store and just left it there. It's communications. There's no doubt in my mind that one of the reasons with that, that this guy made money as a consultant is he knew people, and people might have even thought that he was going to influence Biden. 
There was no evidence of that that was ever produced during during any of these hearings. Like there's no smoking gun, Hunter Biden, anything to do with Joe Biden. So I think more has been made of it and less has been made of it than should be. And I mean by that more was made of it on social like this blanket cancellation of it. More has been made of it on the part of the people that think, okay, there's some kind of spoken gun. But too little has been made of the idea of, look, there might be something there that's interesting about Hunter Biden and his record. I have yet to see anyone point to anything where any of these documents say that President well, I, I, I that Biden did it. All these so-called experts who piled on to Rudy, who told the story right here at WABC on his show, how he and Bernie Carrick had gone down to the fix-it shop. Uh, they had been left two laptop computers. They were given to Rudy all the places he took it, the Delaware state authorities, the U.S. attorneys in Pittsburgh. He outlined everything he did. And time and time again, we heard experts, pundits come on and say he's just a a stooge for Putin, for Russian disinformation without everyone saying, wow, this is interesting. Hunter Biden himself has not denied that those are his laptops. Remember, all throughout this process, he ignored it more or less. Right. right? He did did not deny it. Figure play out the clock. You know, uh, my my father is well on his way to possibly becoming president of the United States. Just. Try to avoid it at all costs. I understand we're so close uh, to the actual vote. But now that increasingly more and more the information is coming out, you would think these people owe an apology to Rudy Giuliani, calling calling him a Russian stooge. Okay, look, the Russian disinformation part was a conclusion that people jumped to based on how the sourcing of this whole thing, the whole story had a very weird feel to it, right? You had this guy in this Delaware shop who suddenly in October of 2020 – Talk about October surprises. October 2020 comes up and says, I have access to these documents. Oh, by the way, how did I get them? I didn't crack any code. I plugged a, a keyboard into the thing and just printed them out. Who this guy is, he didn't want to talk to anyone. This guy, I mean, he, I guess he talked to Rudy. I don't even know if he even talked to the FBI. So there was every reason we got burned in 2016 when the Russians attacked us. We got burned by disinformation, by, by amazing amounts. Democrats and Republicans on the, on the Senate, on the Senate um, uh, uh, Intelligence Committee said this was one of the largest sustained attacks by a, a foreign country against us ever when the attack that they, that they did to try to support Donald Trump. So there was reason to be suspicious. I think that Rudy Giuliani perhaps can say, I told you this wasn't Russian disinformation, but that's what it's not. What is it? I don't really know yet. No one knows yet. We well, haven't heard, the, we haven't heard any authority say what's actually on let, that let, Let's look at Hunter Biden himself. Just a hot mess. There's no other way of describing his personal affairs. Just a hot mess. Totally dysfunctional in almost every conceivable way. He's got severe issues. So right away, you look at somebody who has these severe issues and you say, well, oh no, you know, instead of boom. Russian disinformation. Rudy Giuliani is you a stooge. Keep, He's keep, being utilized by Putin. I know. Putin. You keep returning to that. And I, I, well, I, that I, needs I, to be amended and, I, and no, undone. I, I acknowledge that. But I, but the, so much of the laptop story was about more than just that defense. That defense made some sense. Absent a lot of other information makes some sense. I don't know if that's a final conclusion. I just know that, that Radcliffe, who under Trump said that that was not the case, may, I, I, I concede that's saying that it's Russian. It might be some other form so of disinformation. You would agree that we need to pursue this now. Now, I, you know, yeah, but whatever this is, we should continue to be somewhat skeptical about it. I'm not going to pile on that this guy clearly is troubled. 
I read, I read portions of his book. He deals with the challenges of addiction very badly. He deals with them in an honest way in this book that I found very moving. There's no doubt I've seen the pictures just like you have. Okay. But remember something. We were, cut, we were discussing this issue in the context of President Biden and theoretically that he's got some kind of a conflict or he's conflicted. It could very well be that, that Hunter Biden is a troubled person that made dubious decisions in his business dealings about where he left his laptop, what he wrote. But there has been nothing that brings it into the realm of what I should really care about, meaning something about my government that has been compromised. All right. But as you saw, social networking, uh, Silicon Valley shut down the New York Post, shut down any information, shut down Rudy Giuliani. Now that there's an acknowledgement that, yep, this is his computer, uh, there may well be some real truth to this. We need to pursue it to its end. Uh, yeah, but but again, the, nothing is. Well, stopped. Why would we want to stop it now? Nothing has stopped it from being pursued since October of 2020 when the FBI got a hold of it. Well, the uh, FBI has come out and said we've got this thing. Prosecutors have this thing. They had it under Trump. They had it under Biden. They've got this. But document. speaking of the FBI, that leads us into your laptop situation involving James Comey, who um, I think to all sides because he became a hero to one side and then a hero to the other side based on. What now, press conference he had. And now he's evil to both of us. There's no <laughs> one who likes him. Exactly. And Trump had an opportunity to fire him and should have right after his inauguration, but kept him on. But here's a guy has one press conference. Then all of a sudden, a second press conference involving your laptop. And to this day, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton declares, sometimes publicly, that she felt it was that that press conference that did her in in the national election cycle. Right. But 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 again, let's get getting back to, to the Hunter Biden example. What Comey did was both against policy, arguably illegal of doing these announcements. He had my laptop. There was nothing on it at the end of the day, wound up having an influence of the election. That's not what FBI agents are supposed to do. FBI is supposed to take it, do an investigation, hand it over to prosecute to prosecute. The point I'm making about the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, FBI under Trump, prosecutors under Trump, Justice Department under Trump. FBI under Biden, prosecutors, same prosecutor, because they, they, they didn't replace that prosecutor because they wanted to make it clear we're doing nothing to inter, 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 uh, uh, interfere with this investigation. So now, okay, they've got the information. So you can do a victory dance saying it's not Russian disinformation. Well, but I mean, but, but look, it also look at yourself. Be- you felt violated by that whole situation involving James Comey. No, you felt violated. I felt the United States of America was violated. Okay. Not, I mean, me personally, they, they have this information. The information was already in, in their possession. The FBI made a big deal of – FBI agents are not supposed to announce decisions about prosecutors. That's not what FBI agents do. That's the job of prosecutors in the Justice Department. He violated his own rules. He violated his oath of office. The guy the – guy, if, if we're being fired for any reason but to protect Trump, I would say it was right for the guy to be fired. That's why he should have been fired. I know, fired. but by, by them – Announcing publicly, James Comey, Anthony Weiner's laptop. You know, uh, everybody just like uh, the, the the hairs in their nostrils stood up. Everybody wanted to know what the hell was going on, and Hillary to the day says, "Boy, that cost me the that oath. that was that was um, that was a violation of the oath of office that Comey took." Okay, now but, but now we have Hunter Biden. Let's bring it back to Hunter. Right. So now. The, the federal government, the prosecutors of the federal government, there's been some talk that he has a tax case emerging because he just paid a big amount back. Oh, God, I'm just saying you can, you can believe all of these things at once. One, not Russian disinformation. Two, actually his laptop. And three, nothing on it that affects us as citizens. Period. But I believe 
that all of these so-called experts uh, from the National Security uh, uh, Alliance that goes back over many, many presidencies, Democrat and Republican, who all stood up and said that Rudy Giuliani was a stooge for government, uh, Russian government disinformation, a puppet of Vladimir Putin. They owe him an apology. They really owe him an apology. Okay, I I don't. That's that. Okay. I mean, if it's not Russian disinformation, then it's not. But it also could not be what, what Rudy Giuliani is saying it's, it is. Well, let's let's see. Well, we've got plenty of time here. Exactly. Let's, let's I mean, see. You know, we've got plenty of time. I mean, I don't want to. Uh, Rudy, I've spent a lot of time with him up late, reconnected with him as I spent a lot of time with him when he ran against Dinkins in 88 and obviously with 92 when he finally beat Dinkins. And because uh, we're assisting his uh, son to get the required number of signatures to uh, – qualify in a Republican primary against Zeldin, Harry Wilson, and also Rob Astorino. should be a very interesting primary. But I can see he was really hurt by that. It's like, call me a Russian stooge, a puppet of Vladimir Putin, all of these so-called experts, and now that it comes out, nothing. And you know, people make mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. We've had to apologize. You would think uh, someone, one of those people would say, you know, we were wrong on that. We didn't call it right. Uh, I have a feeling Rudy will be waiting a month of Sundays to get any apology on that. Up next, we got to talk the homeless issue and what I observed on the number four train uh, the other night uh, that has now gone viral across the nation. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner, probably the image that I most have of you over the years is in your New York Met garb, as you have today on Mets Baseball, your hoodie, uh, is I oftentimes would spot you on a subway train like a normal passenger, you know, having Metro carded your way in and taking the subway from place to place with your New York Mets cap. Proudly, you were wearing that. Uh, You are an expert on the subways. Not a lot of people who have been elected in office or or appointed to positions can say that because many of them just avoid having to do anything with the subways. Uh, We have a new uh, program by Governor Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams to try to deal with the uh, growing number of emotionally disturbed and homeless that are on the subways who live in the system, who are a danger to themselves and everyone else. And the uh, horrific rise in crime in the subways, uh, upwards of just 100 percent, you know, more of an increase just last week. What have you seen on your end? Because uh, you're very cognizant and very cogent about uh, changes and differences of what's taking place. Well, this is a good time. You know, there used to be a thing they would say in in New York or maybe everywhere. They say uh, a Republican is a Democrat who's been a victim of crime. That, But there are some Republicans who really do know that. Crime is a very nuanced thing, particularly in the subways. And I just want to point out for our listeners an article in the U.S. Sun that the Sun, one of the largest public, online publications in the country, has a story about um, about your work called The Ride of Despair Inside the Post-COVID Crisis and how the guardian angels are confronting the gangs of mentally ill. You know better, arguably, than anyone in the city. And if I would have been elected mayor, I certainly would have appointed you to some position to help us with this. How complex it is, this notion of getting people off the subways. Recently, the Adams administration has dramatically increased the number of people that are getting tickets for taking up two seats, right? Because we see these people lying. lying. Okay, that's nice. It's a nice press release. Today, as I was coming here, um, there was a crew of a sanitation worker, an MTA employee, 
and a police officer clearing out um, homeless encampments from in, inside the bus shelters on the on the M14A and D bus on uh, on four, that runs across town on 14th Street. But the problem is, once you move them, once you get them to not laying down, once you get them, you give them a ticket for urinating or whatever it is, what, what do you do with these human beings? And, and, and you're a good person to ask this because you're down there getting your fingernails dirty. When you move these folks and you help guide them off the subways, where do you take them to? You have to try to take them either to a hospital, a mental health facility, or a shelter, particularly if they're um, riding the subways all night long. They're, they're, they're in danger then. Uh, out of all the circumstances we ran across on the very train that I started our subway patrols on in February of 1979, the number four train, uh, I took this reporter and photographer with a guardian angel patrol just from 125th Street, Harlem, up to Fordham Road, where I started it all, and just back and forth. And all we did was ride the trains and walk up and down the trains because the police, they don't do that. They stay on platforms. And we just ran across situation after situation, homeless people with drug issues, alcohol issues, uh, emotionally disturbed. And then uh, one entity that would make anybody cry. We came across an elderly woman who was from Atlanta. Her name was Mary Reeves. Uh, She had gone to Emory College. She uh, was a teacher at Emory also, became a lawyer, well-spoken, knowledgeable, was quoting all kinds of information. I was stunned. And she had been rendered homeless in New York City, While on the train, the number four train, all her ID was stolen, all her money was stolen, her personal valuables were stolen. So naturally, we bring her to the transit police at 125th Street. They were the only ones uh, wanting to respond to her plight, but they had no remedy for her. So I say, well, I'll do what we always do, the guardian angels. We'll bring her directly to a shelter and get her in there for the night, if nothing more, because if she stays on this train, more harm is going to come her way. It's just you can't have a 74-year-old woman uh, on the train and apparently had just had COVID. So you saw where the intravenous had been put into her wrist. You still had the uh, the bandages on the wrist. They had just released her from the hospital. She had nowhere to go. So we brought her to um, a shelter over on 33rd Street uh, behind Norman Thomas High School on Park Avenue. And, you know, we brought her in. They didn't want to take her. Because at first, well, how do we know who she is, Curtis? I said, come on, guys, gals. 74 years old. She's from Atlanta. Listen to her accent. She's no threat to anybody. Of course, there's no way of identifying her. you got to accept that her, her name is Mary Reeves. Unfortunately, what's happened is they really didn't want to deal with her. So I think in order to placate me and the Guardian Angels and the fact that we had the photographer and the reporter from the Sun, they accepted her. And then halfway through the morning... They discharged her. She went out the emergency exit. So when I went back and spoke to the director, I said, this woman was barely able to get up. I can't imagine her getting up and walking out the door, knowing where the emergency door exit was. I said, I get a sense you really didn't want to process her to begin with because you didn't have all the information that obviously Department of Homeless Services would demand of you. But as you know, Anthony, New York City is unique. A person who is in need of shelter must be given shelter. It's a, a, a federal judge had made that decision years and years ago, and uh, I was just crestfallen. So we spent the time trying to find her in the system. If anybody runs across this woman, her name is Mary Reeves. She has a southern accent. She's from Atlanta, Georgia. One of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. 
And I know where she is, Anthony, because my mother was at the same point, although never homeless. I want to join my mother and father in heaven. I want to join my older sister in heaven. I'm ready to go, Curtis. And Mm -hmm. I said, no, no, Mary, you're not ready to go. You're in control of your mental faculties, your physical faculties. We got to help you here. And this is what has to happen, not just for Mary, because she's so different than the normal kind of homeless person that I'll run across with the guardian angels. But it's a humanitarian thing yeah, to I do. Mean, I mean, two things jump out of the story, and everyone should go take a look at it. It's the-sun.com. It's in today's today's paper. Two things jumped out. One is your notion that these people are unsafe on the subway themselves. You know, for a brief moment in our New York civic life, we had this terror that someone was out there killing homeless people. Yes. Turns out who was killing them? Another homeless Another person. Homeless. And the other thing is, and you pointed up with your story, you know, you can take someone to a place that they can sleep, but if they don't want to stay— there's not a lot you can do to force them. Well, we, we've got to do a much better job because these are lost souls. Uh, many of them not can, in control of their mental or physical faculties. We have to do a much better job. And as you mentioned, I would put aside whatever differences I had with Eric Adams during that campaign and offer my services voluntarily, not as a consultant. I don't want to get paid. But I think I know where to go, where to find these people, and how to get them some help. Thanks for bringing that to everyone's attention. Thank you, man, for the service that you do to our city. We appreciate it.